It's go time. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon and Heath Graham is with me on the show and we are going to be talking about the CBA. It's everyone's hot button topic, but now that it's ratified by the CFL and the CFLPA, we should get into some nuts and bolts about what exactly is in there. This comes from Three Down Nation. They had a link to a tweet from person who had access to this information. We're going on that based that this information is as accurate as we could find. And I think it's important to re-establish that this is a ratified CBA. We were privy to some information from the, the previous collective bargaining agreement that was not ratified by the players. This one is. We are now in full preseason mode with games and things are moving. It's a seven-year deal with a TSN opt-out clause, if you want to call it that, where the players can renegotiate after five if there's a brand new television contract. In that, though, if they do opt out, they can't sign just a two-year deal to finish the deal. They have to move beyond what the old deadline was. The CFL and the Players Association both are looking to get long-term deals that benefit both, that grow the game. And I think they both got a little bit scared in this last negotiation, realizing how close we were to losing regular season games or delaying the start of the season again. So one other aspect that they've built into it is this, the new bargaining agreement expires 30 days prior to camps opening, as opposed to mere hours prior to camps opening, which gives them a window to get things right long before we have a threat of a disruption in regularly scheduled games. The CFL and the CFLPA had until midnight Eastern time Thursday to get a deal done. And the reason being, there were two preseason games on Friday, two more on Saturday. You had to have this mechanism in motion if you were going to get these games going. Fortunately, the two sides came to an agreement If people want a quick reminder, the Wednesday agreement from the week prior was voted down by the players. And if you want to know sort of how that works, six of the nine teams with 50 plus 1% majority can vote down an agreement in the CFLPA by the membership can vote down an agreement. That happened. They had to go back to the uh, table to talk to the CFL again. We speculated with Andrew Hoskins of the Turf District what that would mean, how the feelings would be, what kind of energy would be in the room. Clearly, there was enough momentum there, notwithstanding the no vote from the players, that the two sides still felt compelled to get an agreement. What's interesting to me, and maybe the same for you, is that there isn't a marked change between the two agreements that were signed as tentative agreements? There's not. And I know one of the big points of contention was about the ratio. And we have seen a few concessions from the league and what they came back to with this new ratio proposal. We are going to have the seven Canadian starters on the field this year, but there are some tweaks to how that seventh one 
is kind of followed and, and who can sub in for them at any given time. That is something that I was wondering if that would survive given the reticence that was being felt. But I think on the one hand, the players had to come to some sort of determination that if we were going to get revenue sharing, a ratification bonus, we had to give something on player participation. The push was coming from those who believe that the Canadian in Canadian Football League meant that there should be designated spots for Canadian players. That gives you a greater opportunity to make a CFL roster and to start. There is an argument on the other side that says if Mike Singleton can play for the Stampeders, not born in Canada, had parents in Canada, becomes a Canadian because of that affiliation, why can't an American who's been in the league for five years with a team for three years? Personally, I like the idea of one nationalized American player. I, I believe that does reward loyalty to the team and to the league. You, you have to be very direct in your definitions of what constitutes a national Canadian and and they have made those rules and and as far as I know with Singleton he was following the rules that were in place you you don't want to go into changing definitions too much but I believe the nationalized American player is a good way to go about it the CFL years ago redefined what a national was and that would be high school in Canada, parentage, etc. It made it a much more simplified, codified process. We've seen players that have taken advantage. Uh, Kyle Saxelid is another Cameron Judge, a third, who basically grew up in the States but have that Canadian connection. It provides stability. We've talked about that a lot, that teams have too much turnover. Here's an opportunity that the same players can be on, on a roster. And it also recognizes loyalty. When you're loyal to an organization or to a league and you keep coming back across the border to work for them, that needs to be recognized and this is one way to do that. The question and I guess what we'll have to see how it is played out is where is this going to manifest? How many of these national Americans are we going to have in terms of substitutions, because if someone goes down, you need somebody to fill that role. So that would provide for maybe five, six, seven players that would fit the bill of three years with a team, five years in the league. And I think if you look at most of the CFL rosters, we already have most of that number in place. There is turnover, certainly year to year on any given roster, but a lot of teams have that core veteran group of American players. And this is just a way of, as you say, rewarding that loyalty and building that stability that you're going to maybe look at extending that guy for an extra year or two because he fits into this category and you know how to use him. The other thing, I guess, is these are the types of players that are going to be in the guaranteed contract situation where that final year, 50% of that, contract is guaranteed. That's going to be a cap hit. That's going to be, it's not like a bonus where teams could claw that back the day before. 
this you're wedded to. And it's going to be a real mathematical nightmare. I think every team is going to have to have not only cap specialists, but snap specialists in counting how many snaps some of these players are on the field for to make sure they they don't go over their 49% of snaps numbers as well. We We do see one of the interesting things in this CBA is that the league is going to reward the teams that have more of their snaps for Canadian players by adding additional draft picks for them. And you're going to have to see what the, the penalty is for going over that line. And it might be severe. What if you go over, is it a forfeiture? Is it simply a fine? Is it a penalty on the play? Because there's going to be some mechanism that's going to count this and you can never get at any point in the game above 49%. The second part of the equation is that mechanism. What do you do? Is it RFID chips? Are they Bluetoothing in the helmets? What are they doing so that you know? Because I think ultimately this is going to have to be a real-time calculation. This can't be an end-of-season type of scenario because what you'll find, and I'm, I'm speculating, but what you'll find teams will load up with different players based on opponent that they're going to be facing. Some guys may not ever really touch the field other than the opening play. That's a great point. And you look at the importance of games within your own division versus games against uh, the, uh, the other division, how important that is going to be to you in the standings. If you've got a way to cheat the system a little bit in those head-to-head matchups that you know are going to be important, coming down to the end of the season, coaches are generally going to find a way to cheat that system. And then you're, you're going to have a game, maybe a, a team, the Edmonton Elks last year or the Red Blacks that really struggled is a team that's a front runner, like a Hamilton or Winnipeg going to be as concerned about getting that ratio right in a game like that? Or are they going to give the, the Canadian guy the majority of the snaps and, and skew your calculations? Nothing is specified as of yet. We are soon to learn how this is going to play out. I've had discussions with Steve Daniel, who was titled the chief statistician of the Canadian Football League. That's something they didn't track. The NFL does do that. The technology is there, and I'm sure if the CFL knocked on the door, the NFL would gladly point them in the right direction in terms of how to implement this. Then who gets tasked with this? Is it the stats department or is there somebody independent with the officiating crew that has to take care of this? Great in theory to do these things, but you have to have some sort of way to implement. And if you don't, you fall down. I can kind of see each team having to have a designated statistician that's keeping track of all of this stuff in real time is probably the best way to do it. But at the same time, you're going to have to have somebody either from the league or from the officiating crew that is also tracking it so that if there is an infraction, it can be called, as as you say, a penalty or something in real time when it happens. The CFL is going to have a representative on the bench to speed up discussions about challenges. Is that person going to be charged with keeping the count and grabbing the coach and saying, if you put that guy out there right now, you're over? It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And as I mentioned before, this is where some of that new technology you talked about that the NFL has, or maybe something that Genius Sports is bringing into the fold as well to give us that that real-time data that they're going to need. It's going to be really important. 
this may be part of the push from the betting public that I, I have to understand who's on the field when so that I can make this bet with an intelligent understanding of what's happening. Also with the ratio, the teams, the teams that have the most national plays get a second round draft pick and, and they're going to drop the old territorial pick for the bottom two teams of the league. That'll start in 2024. The calculation will be in 2023. So essentially, the more national on the field for more plays, you could be in that sweepstakes to count as the team to get an extra pick. I love that one. I think that's great. That extra pick is you're you're having an opportunity to grab another Canadian player in the draft to hopefully develop. It's a great feeder system. So if you've got that Canadian talent out there and you're willing to to use them, you're going to get a bonus of an extra draft pick. Doesn't say who's the best in the West and who's the best in the East. It just states that there are two teams that will have this opportunity. I'm almost certain I know one team who will not be in that race. I won't mention any names, Edmonton Elks, nor any coaches, Chris Jones. I would have to agree with you on that one. We we have talked about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the past have been successful with having, I believe, nine Canadian starters at one point in time. A Canadian head coach in Mike O'Shea in Winnipeg that knows the importance and the quality of Canadian players in this league. So I believe those two might be front runners snagging these extra draft picks potentially. But on the other side of the coin, I think you're 100% correct that Edmonton will probably be nowhere near in contention for this little bonus. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Ratification bonus, $1.225 million, which breaks down to about 136000 per club. Here's a question. Your rookies are not CFLPA members. Do they get a part of that bonus? I was doing some quick calculations. And at what point do you distribute that bonus? If you're looking at a finalized roster, it works out to about $3,000 per player. And if you take away some of those, the rookies from that, maybe that boosts that number up a little bit. But if you're looking at a training camp roster, that, that's going to get down to a, maybe enough to have a nice meal at McDonald's or something to each player. Or you look at a finalized roster. Does it include practice roster players? How is that distributed? So it's, it's not a huge amount of money. It's more of a, a token appreciation for ratifying the contract from the math that I've been doing. I'm guessing if you did not have an opportunity to vote, you probably do not have an opportunity to receive. But what is the, what's the average number of players on a roster, on a training camp roster that had that vote? That's something that the CFLPA defines and it would be anybody under contract with the CFL that is not a rookie contract. So you're probably looking at maximum maybe $4,000 to $4,500 per player. Again, a nice little bit of cash in your hand, but not a huge deciding factor, I don't think, in the decision to ratify this agreement. The ratification bonus came with a price. 
salary cap does not have a fluid increase through the term of this contract. It does not increase at all in this playing year, 2022. It will go up by about 160000 in 2023, and then kind of takes a big dip down to seventy-five in 2024, and then levels off at 100000 for the next three seasons. And then this is where the other part of the ratification bonus comes out, is in the final year of the contract, the salary cap gets another 25000 bump. And, and looking at the numbers, that's in place to keep the cap under $6 million when this bargaining agreement expires in 2028. With the increases that they've got scheduled now, the salary cap in 2028 will be just over $1,000 less than $6 million. So it looks like that was really the target was to keep this, this cap under $6 million. Now we know another part of the equation is going to be some revenue sharing. They've opened up the revenue sharing of the Grey Cup game. And there's other avenues of revenue with online gambling and that sort of thing that's going to come into play as well. But this is, as we see it today, the flat salary cap that they're going to be working with for the next seven years. This is probably the real CFL 2.0. That the old universe of how things were done in the CFL is pretty much coming to an end. And that given that we have this new betting legislation, given that we have Genius Sports coming online, CFL Ventures is coming online, the players now having an opportunity to receive some of the revenue in a revenue-sharing agreement with the league starts in 2024. What they're going to do is effectively look at 2022, see what the revenue stream was in this season, by 2024, they'll have a calculation based on how much was made more than that, and the players will get, a, starting at 25%, moving up to 30% over the term of the contract. Grey Cup being included, which is a huge bonanza, typically, for the Canadian Football League. In my mind, this is where the players made their biggest gain. Absolutely, and to have the 2022 season being that first benchmark that they're going to look at, the Grey Cup game is in Regina, which we know is going to be a huge sellout crowd and a, and a huge revenue generator. So this really sets the players up well to start that revenue sharing calculation. That's probably why we see the drop in the scheduled increase of the salary cap from 160000 to 75000 the following year, because you're going to start seeing some of this revenue sharing benefit. I guess the, the hope is that it'll offset the, the dip in the scheduled increase by having a larger revenue sharing amount. The irony in all of this is that the Players Association, maybe never publicly, but maybe quietly hope that the Grey Cup isn't as good in 2022 as it could be, because remember, this is the baseline. And if they have a, a windfall with the 2022 Grey Cup in Regina in November, that really bumps up the baseline. And then to get into revenue sharing, you have to hit a higher threshold. Again, there's a lot of math, both in figuring out player ratios and figuring out salaries and revenue sharings. And I, I'm okay with the calculator in my hand, but I don't think I want to tackle either one of those jobs. The other part of the revenue sharing is that the PA decides where the money is dispersed. That means that they could use it for all kinds of different things. It could be for health benefits, could be for pension, 
It could be for top up of the salary cap. This gives them a lot more authority to move that money where they feel the membership wants it to be. That is a positive thing. The whole idea of revenue sharing when it comes to the CFL, if you want to make money, we have to make money. We're partners in this process now because your bottom line and my bottom line are both impacted. I think that's one of the biggest wins, as you mentioned, that the Players Association is going to decide where that money goes and how it's distributed. And we've seen in other professional leagues how important that revenue sharing number has been in new CBA agreements and negotiations. We've seen it in in the NHL is one that really sticks in my mind because I know they pushed really hard the Players Association to get a number that they are happy with, with revenue sharing. It's a start. It's going to be something new for the CFL. If done right, it's going to be a big win for the players. Again, it invests the players in the health of the Canadian Football League. This ties the two together. For the CFL, yeah, you give up some of your income, but you may grow it much more by having the other side of the equation, the guys that are actually performing on the field, invested in what happens and what your outcomes are. Huge for American players is that follow-up medical benefits after you retire is increased by another year. The NFL window is maintained. Rookie contracts coming out of the NFL, the definitions have changed so that if you spent three years as a national in the NFL, you're now a free agent. Big because that gives you more opportunity to go where you want to go. Another important highlight in the CBA is the focus on mental health and substance abuse. They are looking at developing a mental health action plan for each club and conducting mental health baseline tests uh, and post-injury tests. So we have seen the importance of mental health support across all facets of life, but especially in professional sports. We've seen, and, and amateur sports, if you will, with the Olympics, we've seen people really crumble under that ongoing pressure to perform at a higher level. So we know some of the long-term effects, the more proactive they are in developing these programs, the better, and it's going to be a real benefit for the, the teams and the players moving forward. There's going to be education programs. There's a lot of off-the-field movement to make sure that players understand their world how to adapt to their new situation. Because let's face it, for a lot of guys, this is the first time they've really been out of the country on the opposite coast. It's a different lifestyle and you and you need some sort of reassurance and maybe some guidance that you can make it through this. To have some of these more supports in place are very important. And you've got a lot of, as you say, younger players kind of traveling for the first time. Maybe they went to a college or university close to home. So this is a real new venture for them, how to react in certain situations. So the more education and support they can get along the way, the better. Now, in terms of practice, two things that have changed. Teams have a flexibility now to have a six-hour practice day, but they can't exceed the total allotted number of practice hours for the week padded practices are back on the agenda, cut down from one hour to 45 minutes between the two agreements, but they still have 12. This goes back to player health and safety. Bringing back the padded practice to be able to monitor that correctly is going to be really important. And 12 times per year, we discussed this a little bit 
with the awaiting ratification of the previous agreement in how you manage those practices over the course of the season are going to be important as well. And hopefully your team is at a place early enough in the season that you're not trying to squeeze additional padded practices in towards the end of the year. The CFL has agreed that players are entitled to a green zone helmet. And this is a term used by the NFL. And it's essentially an NFL-approved helmet. The CFL, of course, coming so early would have to rely on the previous season's NFL list of approved helmets. And teams would have to then start amending their inventories to allow for that. The other thing that's curious, too, the CFL is going to provide the PA with television rating numbers. I understand in part why, because of the revenue sharing that's coming, but I would have thought that the PA had their own mechanism <laughs> to get those numbers. It's not like it's hidden information. Generally, you can see a couple of days after a weekend that somebody is tweeting out what the television numbers have been, but I guess this will be official numbers and not necessarily what you might be hearing third party <laughs> down the road. I, I don't know exactly what the CFLPA would necessarily do with these numbers. As you said, revenue sharing is, is kind of the, the biggest thing, but interesting to see what that information is really needed for. One of the things that's coming out that won't be discussed too, too much, but it's something that's near and absolutely dear to my heart, is that starting in 2023, the CFL has the option to move up the start of the season by up to 30 days. I knew you would like that one and does have some validity to it. We have seen some very cold weather playoff games and Grey Cup games, and especially with the change in the schedule because of COVID, we had some very late games this past season. Having regular season games start a little bit earlier and some of that nicer weather for the playoffs is not only a benefit for the players, but I think the fan experience and you're going to see larger numbers. Sometimes when that forecast isn't looking good, there maybe were a lot of tickets sold, but not a lot of people in those seats. Some will argue, okay, if we start in if we start in April with training camps, it's going to be too cold then. But you rarely drop below minus five walking onto the field the morning of a practice. By the time actual gameplay starts, the temperatures are typically never going below zero at any point in the day. It may be a little cooler, but it sure beats minus 30 with a wind chill of minus 50 at the other end of the season. You're right. Having better weather at the end of the season is a lot more important for the crowd sizes and the whole experience than having it that much warmer to, to start training camps. Playoff games should not be hampered by bitterly cold weather. And this is something, especially in the West, that has been a problem for years and years and years We've seen a Grey Cup in Edmonton where the field was ice. Why do you want your showcase games to be so subject to such unbelievably bad weather? You want to showcase the best that the league has to offer in the biggest games and the ones that are going to draw the most eyeballs. And those playoff games are it. Now, we have seen some amazing bad weather games, and, and it's not going to completely do away with them. We can see bad weather in October, as just as much as we can in November. But having a, a more consistent playing surface is really important in really showcasing what these players can do. You rarely get minus 20 in October. Most likely you're hovering around zero or plus five. 
I applaud the CFL for making that move. And let's face it, it takes them one month out of the NFL schedule and more focus can be on the CFL schedule for football fans and for the betting public in the States, Canada, wherever. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again at the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching.